Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, live on Sirius XM Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show and happy Friday. It's been a busy week between former President Trump beating Nikki Haley in New Hampshire, but Haley vowing to fight on and the border battle between Texas and the Biden administration heating up. It's gone well beyond Texas now. Um, Some 25 states are joining behind Texas in solidarity. The former president, Donald Trump, is calling for them to send National Guard troops from each state down to shore up the southern border because the Biden administration won't do it. Um, We'll get to all of that. Joining me today for the full show to discuss that and so much more is Charlie Kirk, founder and CEO of Turning Point USA and host of The Charlie Kirk Show. Charlie, great to have you back. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. Lots to talk about. It's uh, it's quite a time to be alive. Oh my gosh, what's happening down in Texas is crazy. So the the numbers, I mean, they just keep growing. 25 Republican governors released a joint statement. They stand in support of Texas. Um, now you've got you know Trump calling for them to send, as I said, National Guard troops of their own down there. So far, the Biden administration has not sent down an order to tear down those wire, those, the wire fences. But if they do, it's on and it's going to get really ugly. I mean, Texas is within its rights to just put it right back up. But if they yes, try to stop right. the feds from tearing it down and we get into some sort of a confrontation, I mean, like, where does it, where is this going? Yeah, I, I hope it doesn't get into some sort of a, you know, constitutional crisis confrontation. I don't think that's where we're going. I think Abbott read the decision like we all did. And the essence of the decision is that the federal government should have supremacy over border control and border policy. There's some major details there that are, I think we're lacking. I don't like the decision, but it could have been far worse. The The court didn't say that Texas has no right to secure their own border. The court didn't say that Texas has no business in securing the border. All the, all the court said is that Texas basically will allow the federal government to get rid of the razor wire. It was so specific to just razor wire as well, which people need to understand. So Greg Abbott reads the decision. He puts out this really beautiful letter where he says, we have a moral and a constitutional and a traditional and a historical right to self-defense against invasion. And this is an invasion, Megan, and we can dive into it because I I want your audience to make sure they understand the sophistication and the sinister nature of what's happening on the southern border, which could only best be compared to the modern equivalent of the North Atlantic slave trade. And I don't use that lightly. I'm not throwing that around like a Frisbee, but there are hundreds of thousands of young women who have been trafficked into this country into a new form of very sick slavery. So what Greg Abbott has said is, listen, We have a right to defend ourselves. The federal government is not securing the border. In fact, they're doing the opposite. They're doing expedited entry into the United States where you get cash, a cell phone, and basically Border Patrol has become Expedia.com for the third world. They say, where would you like to go? Uh, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, Seattle, New York, and they will book them a flight into the interior of the United States. And they're doing this in harmony with NGOs, non-government organizations like Catholic Charities, Amnesty International, and many others. So Greg Abbott says this is out of control. It's ruining our communities, especially the border communities, and we need to do something about it. So the federal government now has the green light from the Supreme Court to get rid of this razor wire. But interestingly, Joe Biden hasn't yet deployed federal agents to go cut the razor wire. So Greg Abbott has added more razor wire. It's being creative. It's certainly 
challenging the essence of the decision. I mean, the spirit of the decision to an untrained eye is back off Texas. And Greg Abbott says, well, that's not what it says. And Greg Abbott is a lawyer. He was a judge. He he loves the law. So he's not doing this lightly. He's exploiting the murkiness and the cloudiness of this decision to play offense. And I love it, Megan. We would not have seen this in the last couple of years. I have a theory as to why this is. The border is now the number one issue in the country that transcends political lines. It transcends racial demographic lines. It transcends income levels. People know what's happening on the southern border is an outrage. It's against our customs and our laws and who we are as Americans. And Greg Abbott is really forcing the hand of the federal government. And so my advice to him, I said this on our podcast, on our show, if the federal government goes and wants to cut the razor wire, watch them do it, put it on camera, it would be a PR loss for them. The agents will leave and put up more razor wire, rinse and repeat. Mm -hmm. That is perfectly legal and constitutional based on what the Supreme Court decided this last week. I agree. I've been watching this carefully because I really my hope is that Texas doesn't get to the point where they have to openly defy the order. I mean, it's not really about them defying it. It's about whether the feds will actively do something about the permission slip they've just been given by the Supreme Court to go in there and pull it down. Texas really doesn't have to do or not do anything under that order. I mean, they're 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 not really being compelled by it. Uh, But if 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 Abbott tries to stop them from pulling down the border wire, you know, these this wire, then he could Correct. be in trouble. And we're getting a little closer to that. There's um, in my update today from my team, per Fox 4 in Dallas, uh, top Texas officials saying they will not comply with the deadline to allow federal border agents access to a park along the Rio Grande from which I think they would need to enter the waters to actually cut down the wire. So I'm not sure exactly where that's going and saying something is not the same as doing something. So we've got our eyes on it. But either way, the, if you zoom out, the bigger picture is it feels feels a little civil worry, <laughs> like 25 states saying to the federal government, this is where we hold the line. It's a no. You, you will not allow this invasion to go on any longer. We've had it with you. And if Biden, because he's under pressure from the left to try to get these states in hand. Right. And if he bows, mm-hmm. like you said, sends agents down there to cut down these fences and to take on the National Guard that's now being sent, not just from Texas, Oklahoma, perhaps some of these other states will do it, too. I don't think it could get just it's like a powder keg. Yeah, I I do trust Greg Abbott. I think he's a very responsible person. It's the other side that's forcing this conflict, though. And I want to just reiterate, you know, having 25 red state governors consolidate behind this issue. That's a real big statement. A lot of these governors are not exactly full MAGA, right? Some of them are just chamber of commerce type of old generation Republican governors that have come in and they're voicing support. I mean, take one, for example, who I respect. I think he's done a great job on certain things. He's not as conservative as I am, as as Glenn Youngkin. And he says, we're all in. We're sending support for the border. And look, so so Joe Biden is going to try to exploit this, but they're losing on this issue, Megan. And so the only option that Joe Biden has in front of him is further escalation. Escalation of saying that, you know, Texas is trying to secede. Well, no, they're not. I mean, they're they're in the Texas Constitution, in the laws of in front of them, they have the ability to stop an invasion. And there is still a question of what the Fifth Circuit is going to do because they haven't completely and totally ruled on this. And the Supreme Court can rule on that as well. But I think the left is trying. 
Yes, exactly. I think the left is trying to play into this idea of secession or nullification, when in reality, Texas is saying, well, nope, the law still allows us to do this. And I think we need to make the argument, though, that this is the existential crisis that is hitting every community across the country. You could talk about it from a fentanyl perspective. You could talk about it from a child labor perspective. You could talk about it from a labor perspective or even what's happening in Chicago. I mean, an unreported story in the last week is that Mayor Johnson of Chicago, I'm not a fan of his, he's been hospitalized multiple times because of panic attacks because of all the people that are coming to Chicago and he can't handle it. I mean, Eric Adams what? obviously has How been outspoken about Oh no. It's a it's a big story that he was hospitalized a couple times because of panic attacks in Chicago. I couldn't oh, believe it. I had to double God. check the story. And so this is this is heading all across the country. People know it. They see it. And this is an important thing, though, is that one of the reasons why this is so grotesque. And I don't know if you saw this clip, Megan, of this guy from Kazakhstan or Uzbekistan with this Middle Eastern accent. He was asked, hey, what's your name? And he said, everyone's going to soon know my name. You're not smart enough to know who I am. Now, we suspect mm -hmm. that this guy was the former leader of a terrorist group. That's not confirmed. I want to be very clear. That's not confirmed. He looks identical. OK, but uh, he just got released out of prison. But the way he said it was, you know, chilling to the spine where he says, oh, you're going to know who I am as if it's some sort of a threat. Is that you might remember back a year, year and a half ago, uh, Bill Malusian, who does a great job, he had those famous uh, images of tens of thousands of people under an overpass. Do you remember those yeah. images and the drone yeah. shots? So the Biden administration hated those images. They thought it made them look bad and they thought it was a crisis. And so they went to Border Patrol. They went to Department of Homeland Security. I got this information from Todd Bedsman, who's amazing. And Border Patrol and, and uh, DHS said, well, Mr. Biden and Mayorkas, the reason why there is a backlog is because we're doing uh, DNA testing and background checking. So, for example, a guy comes from Kazakhstan. They call up the Kazakhstan embassy. Hey, we have this guy. Um, is there anything we should know about it? And, you know, sometimes the Kazakhstan, it was like, oh, no, you don't want that guy in your country. He just you know, escaped our country from murder or whatever. And so the Biden administration said no more lines. Get them through as quickly as possible because it's bad optics. So, Megan, not only do we have open borders, we're not even doing open borders in a sane or rational way. We're not doing DNA testing where a 28-year-old will show up with three girls that are 10, 11, and 12 years old and do a very quick swab DNA test, put it through the machine, and say, oh, they're not related. He's probably sex trafficking them. And I just hope everyone understands this is one of the greatest, most horrific humanitarian crises when it comes to sex trafficking in the history mm -hmm. of the country. And, you know, the Democrats don't care. The left doesn't care. And Joe Biden is co-sponsoring it. So I say all that, Megan, because I think Greg Abbott is morally in the right position to play hardball here. We must understand that we don't want some constitutional crisis. We don't want this to try to spark something. We don't want the bad guys to exploit it in a way that will further divide the country. But it's Joe Biden that has sat and done nothing for three years now. We must understand we have patiently waited for the federal government to do its moral responsibility and they just lie about it. Alejandro Mayorkas says, oh no, the border is completely secure. Everything is perfectly fine. They are outright lying and it's impacting the entire country. And the fact that 25 governors are stepping up behind Greg Abbott, I think, is a great sign. And I think it's Joe Biden who's going to blink here because it means that Joe Biden would have to either federalize the National Guard, which has not been done either. And it's only done in times of crisis, hurricanes, uh, widespread Watts riots that we saw, saw in the early 90s or when um, Dwight D. Eisenhower federalized the National Guard in Arkansas for desegregation of schools. It's done very rarely. If Joe Biden does it, that is a huge escalation point. 
And for Greg Abbott to be holding the line here, I think is inspiring courage on the issue of the border. It's very promising. Yeah. I mean, I do and I don't want to see a constitutional crisis. I, I would love to see a ruling from the high court saying, yes, w- when it's at this level, affirming the state's ability to stop an invasion, notwithstanding all these federal statutes that have been passed trying to seize control over immigration. Um, there was a very interesting Andy McCarthy podcast over on the National Review feed. And, you know, he he's not like some knee jerk Trump defender or even Republican defender. Mm-hmm. He calls him like he sees him. And yes. he's very much on Texas's side here and really went back and just walked through the history of immigration law, was really saying, you know, the the feds started to legislate by statute with immigration. But then it got really expanded when Elena Kagan was Barack Obama's solicitor general and was making these Where arguments that really the administrative sa- state. Yeah, exactly. That the administrative state would really expand those yes. immigration powers. And then they've done nothing under the Democratic presidents. They've done nothing but open the borders. So that's right. There is room to push back for these states to say, actually, let's go back to Big the time. original intent, which was we would be responsible for securing ourselves. We never wanted to cede control of this issue or our borders to the feds. We wanted the feds to have as little power as possible. That's the only way you got us to join this union. And let's let's have the argument that we haven't had in 200 plus years. Yeah, I mean, and six million people have been put into the interior of this country illegally. That is bad for everybody. It's bad for our sovereignty. It's bad for our traditions. It's bad for us economically. Six million people that we know of. And that doesn't count the getaways. That doesn't count the the drugs. It doesn't count the guns. It doesn't count all the other things that we know that's happening. And we must understand because the left, they don't like the word invasion. But if you go down to Eagle Pass, if you go down to Yuma, like I have multiple times, and you see the cartels, this is strategic. This is not just some sort of massive open up, you know, the floodgates. And the one thing I push back at times is people say, well, it's complete chaos on the border. Well, sort of. It's actually very methodical what the cartel is doing. They know every single person that is going across. And the way it works is that if you come from across the world, there's 10,000 bucks. You don't have the money. You go into the interior of the United States and they will make sure they track you and you are repaying that. In fact, you might repay a lot more than $10,000. That's slavery, by the way. They are trafficking human A across the border into the United States. And they say you are going to remit to the cartel or we're going to hurt your family. And this is a true story. Many of them, they'll have a Honduran or a Nicaraguan, and they'll call them right before they go in the interior, and they'll have on speakerphone their family they care about back in Honduras, and they'll say, you're going to repay the money or else uh, something very well might happen. They hold hostage the family back in the country of origin. And at times when the cartel really wants to get people across the border, that they're afraid very well might get flagged by Border Patrol or DHS that just look unusual, they will throw babies into the Rio Grande River. This happens on almost a daily basis. They'll throw a baby into the Rio Grande Valley. And what do the Americans do? Because our value system is the best value system on the planet, our Border Patrol, Texas DPS, will go and try to save the baby baby's life who's drowning to death in the Rio Grande Valley. That creates a diversionary effect. So then a couple hundred yards down, all of a sudden you'll see a hundred people run into the country. We have no idea who those people are. 
So when we say the numbers, the get the gotaways, I mean, they could be sleeper cells, they could be terrorist forces. This is this is going to go down as one of one of the one of the greatest crises in American history. And Joe Biden and Mayorkas want it. And I want to just repeat that. They want this to happen. I know that is a very difficult truth for some people to swallow. I had this debate recently with a Democrat friend, and they say, Charlie, you trying to tell me that the American government hates its citizens and they want to replace it with a bunch of third worlders? I said, That's exactly what I'm saying. It's exactly. They have intentionally eroded the laws and customs. And don't take my word for it. Listen to Todd Bensman. Listen to Tom Homan, who, by the way, served under six presidents. He's not a political guy. Tom Homan was head of uh, Border Patrol, ICE, Immigration Customs Enforcement. He knows the border better than any other person in the country. He served under Obama. He served under Bush. He served under Clinton. He's a non-political, duty-first, America-first type guy. And he says he's never seen anything like this on the border. This is an intentional opening up of the floodgates, and they're trying to remake the country and destroy the United States from within. And for, for an own government to do that, there is a word for it. It's called treason. And I'm glad Greg Abbott and other governors are stepping up to stop it, which is the only option we have left at our disposal. Mm-hmm. No, there is a real question about what the motivation is for a lot of these illegals crossing that border. I'm sure some are just families looking for a better life. And there's a very unhealthy proportion of them who actually mean to yes. do us harm, whether it's through drugs like fentanyl or some other means like possible terrorism. I mean, there are people on the terror watch list who have been found After we let them skip across, we reported on the guy the other day, the cartel member who got across. He'd been detained. He tried to get across 42 other times. Just one is a felony that should land you in jail for two years. 42 times he crossed over in the past two years under Joe Biden. Cartel member. What do you think he's going to do over here? Get a job at the Piggly Wiggly and work as a nice cashier? It's not happening. He's going to start a coffee shop. Yes. So it's like the the word invasion. Yes, it used to mean, you know, whatever, somebody from another country coming in, trying to like take over. Well, you could make that argument based on those facts of what what's happening to us. They mean to do us harm to kill our children. Why wouldn't we declare it that it's it took people a long time to get there. People did not say under Reagan, we gave amnesty under George W. Bush. The border wasn't secure. It's been happening for a long time. It's not like the Republicans first knee jerked instinct was to say invasion. It's taken a true crisis for us to get to the point where Greg Abbott feels like he has to do this stuff. Yes. And if the federal government was even somewhat doing its job, this would not be necessary. And, you know, for the people in the audience that might be unpersuaded, I encourage you guys to look up what is called a rape tree. I've seen it many times. You go down there. A rape tree is where the cartels take the 11, 12 and 13 year old girls and they'll rape them. And then as a sign of pride, they'll put the underwear of the raped girl on the tree. This happens every single day. I mean, we are dealing with savages here, not to mention the amount of drugs that go with it. And right now you have these 12, 13 and 14 year old girls that are used as sex prostitutes in the major cities across the country. We have no idea who they are. No one's tracking them down. They came down as family members across the border. And and yes, of course, you know, Megan, what I'm saying is if if it's intentional, they mix in their people that want to come here to work and whatever. But, But that's not the point. The point is that the leaders are doing this for a reason. Mayorkas is doing this for a reason. Joe Biden is doing this for a reason. And there's some really, really bad people they mix into it. And, you know, when we were at America Fest, our Turning Point USA event, Megan, um, I had my our colleague, Ben Burkwam, who I work with, he's amazing. And he said, Charlie, let me show you something. He comes on my show and he gives he dumps a bunch of IDs 
And so what happens is before a foreigner will enter the United States of America, about 100 yards out, the cartel instructs them, drop any form of identification. So they needed the ID to get that far, to get on a bus, to get on a plane, to get into Mexico, you need the ID. Let me say that again. To get into Mexico, you need the ID. And then they'll do what they call dump IDs. So America is not allowed to go into Mexico, which is insane and silly. We could solve this in an afternoon if we actually used leverage against the, with the Mexican government. So they'll drop IDs. You can go and see it for yourself. I've seen it. And there'll be thousands and thousands of these IDs. So all of a sudden, I'm looking through these IDs and China, Russia, Uzbekistan, Iran. I mean, this is not Turkey. This is not your, and by the way, fighting age men. These are 22, 23, 24, 25 year old men. So I'm looking at these IDs. So it's no BS, not bluster. These are official government issued IDs of the Chinese Communist Party. Think to myself, a 25 year old man from the Chinese Communist Party comes to the border and claims asylum. And our government is so corrupt. It's so treasonous. They say, okay, sir, welcome to America. We'll see you in three years. Here's a court date. And so that you have to adjudicate it. It's a total joke. And I pray, Megan, I pray that I'm just the guy that is over-exaggerating this. I pray that we don't wake up one day and all of a sudden there are 10 coordinated terrorist attacks against the homeland. And what we do know already is DUIs, rapes, and murders on almost a daily basis. There, there's a news item after a news item of somebody who came into the country. We lost track of them. They didn't show up for a court date, and they kill an American. And so Not this is mention, all co-sponsored by Joe Biden. Not to mention the number of people coming to a school near you, being forced to stay yes. in your school as your kids get kicked out. Who knows what they're going to leave behind in the school for your kids to deal with at an airport near you in Chicago right now, the, the brand new wing that they just built on O'Hare, housing all these migrants who aren't washing, the children aren't washing, it's inhumane. And on top of all yes. that, if you if, even if you haven't seen that, you know, I live in a Tony town in Connecticut, so we're not exactly experiencing that firsthand, but you know what's coming to everybody? Your kid goes off to college, he gets offered a pill that somebody says will make him feel good, whether it's an ecstasy or an Ambien or whatever it is of the day, and it's laced with fentanyl, and your kid has no yes, idea. All, and you know what? All the time. I, I, of course, talk to my children about this all the time because I'm in the news business. But there are a lot of parents out there who really aren't following this that closely, and they think fentanyl is like, oh, it's something somebody chooses to do, like cocaine. And they don't realize that the deaths from fentanyl now are exceeding the deaths that we suffered as in a country right. during the crack cocaine problem and during the opioid, opioid crisis of the early aughts. It's happening right now with fentanyl that's intentionally being put in these little pills. And that's why Eric Bowling's got, that's what, that's what happened to his kid. One pill can kill. That's the name of his foundation. L one pill can kill. So if you don't, if you don't think just because you can't see it in your town that it's not going to come face to face, probably with your 20 year old son, you haven't been paying attention. Big time, 110,000 people drug overdosed and died. I mean, look at uh, the Pawn Star's son, Harrison. Uh, he overdosed just in the last yes. week because of fentanyl. And look, it, it is an underreported tragedy. And some parents say, oh, you know, how bad could fentanyl be? You know, they give it in the hospital, which is true. It is used as a pain relief in the hospital. They have no idea what they're talking about, though, when parents say that. This is so powerful, and it's done intentionally. And the cartels are putting in these pharmacological agents, and 
we, they, they need to be designated as a foreign terrorist organization. They're not. Joe Biden, when confronted by Republican lawmakers, I've had Republican lawmakers tell me, oh, when we confront Joe Biden on this in closed door negotiations and meetings, he says, well, we can't get Mexico to do their job because they, they get mad every time we bring it up. This is literally the position of the Joe Biden government that Mexico gets mad. I want you to contrast that with Donald Trump, who loves his country. He has an unconventional leadership style. I'm sure people have mixed opinions about him. Uh, but however, it is a fact. The border was the most secure. We had border crossings down to record lows. It spiked temporarily. He solved it in an afternoon. He called up Mexico. He said, oh, you know, I know that you guys really depend on auto manufacturing and NAFTA. Um, it's going to be a tariff. We're going to start at 5% and maybe 10%, and I need 28,000 troops on the border. And Mexico said, is this guy serious? And then he tweeted it out. Remember that, Megan? He tweeted it out, and markets even went down, and auto manufacturers were freaking out. And within a day, he said, okay, we're not going to have to do that because Mexico is sending the proper border patrol. They could do this. Mexico doesn't want to do this. The Mexican government is largely captured by the cartel, but there's still a wing of the Mexican government that have some really good people that are really concerned about this, and they just want America to put them in the right place to solve this problem. Um, but look, Mexico is also benefiting significantly. There's a thing called remittances, um, anywhere between 25 to $30 billion of remittances, which are just going to Walmart in America. You go to the money desk, the currency desk, and you send 100 bucks back to you know, Guadalajara, Mexico, or whatever. And so Mexico is seeing a massive amount of repatriation and remittances of American dollars that are coming back. We, we need a president to solve this. It is, in, it is immensely solvable, which is what is the most just frustrating part, Megan, is that what is plaguing our country right now, it, it's not some sort of mystery. It's not like we need to have an investigation to how do we solve this problem? What is lacking is the political will and a ruling class that cares about the country. Every single one of the major problems that is ailing America is solvable. This will go down as the first time in modern history where what is plaguing us most can be solved easily and we refuse to do it. I, I honestly, I would vote for Trump just to get Stephen Miller back in there. Stephen Miller yes. knows what he's doing. This is a man who knows how to shut down the border. He just needs to be empowered, ideally by uh, Congress, um, and a president who say, here you go, here, do your thing, make sure it's secure. The numbers were act were so dramatic. I mean, we looked it up the other day. It was something like 400,000 crossed in, in 2020. And this, this past year, it's what, 2.1, 2.3 million who have come in, not, not yes. including the getaways. It's just in a few years. Think of that. And that's not even counting the numbers who came at 1.7 the year before under Joe Biden. So we do have millions more here than we had just under uh, President Trump a couple of years ago. I wanted to make a couple points. One, on the question of whether Biden will nationalize, uh, will federalize the National Guard. Um, John Kirby was asked that if President Biden is going to federalize the National Guard in Texas to work against uh, Greg Abbott, and he punted. He said, I don't have any decisions to speak for the president. I don't have anything on that at this time. And then Dave Rubin, you may have seen this, he posted something at the airport that's happening right now. I think he was at, in Chicago that showed you and I, you can't get through to get to your flight without showing your ID and also now having your picture taken. Have you noticed that now you got to stand in front yep. of a little like lens and they take your picture. Not if you're an illegal, no problem. That's correct. Um, he, he posted, he actually posted it on his Twitter, the actual sign from um, TSA. And uh, this is his tweet. This is the state of absolute insanity happening at our airports. I'm in the pre-TSA line where migrants do not have to have an ID to get through security, and it's their choice 
whether they want their picture taken. And that's true. If you read the TSA notice, it says it's optional for you. And they don't have to have like a driver's license. They they have to have, if requested, it says, then provide your alien ID number. Alien ID number, not a picture ID. And they don't have to have their photographs taken. But Megyn Kelly does. Charlie Kirk does. What of in the course. actual? The, the, there is a there's a term that I like to use called anarcho tyranny, which is it's tyranny for the American citizen and complete anarchy for the foreigner. They could do whatever they want. And you think about it, we live in this insane surveillance state for American citizens where everything we're, we're tracked, we're spied on, constantly you know, having our fingerprints put in. But if you're from Honduras, you get the you get the special privileges. And there there is a philosophy behind this. They believe they can invert the United States by doing this. Uh, they believe that they should give special privileges. It's kind of their way of redistribution by other means. Uh, but you you as an American citizen and taxpayer, I hope everybody in the audience understands, is that your leaders don't care about you. The ruling class actually hates you. And that is just one example of so many. I mean, the, the, the fundamental things that an illegal alien does to first get into the country, to illegally domicile themselves, to illegally harbor themselves, many of them steal social security numbers. And what'd you say? They get an alien ID. That, that, that is a gateway to amnesty. We could deport every single one of these people if we so if this government wanted to, but they don't. They want them here because they look at them as the true and real Americans. Thou shall have open borders. And there is contempt and for native born Democrat Americans. Voters. Yes. And, and, and I, that, that seems that used to be a controversial thing to say, but finally that's getting into the narrative. And I could point to multiple pieces of tape, Joe Biden many years ago, saying that open borders is going to remake the country and help the Democrat Party. The Castro brothers on Face the Nation, they sat down, they said, you're going to be calling the electoral votes for Texas because of the changing demographics. Now, that, that is becoming a little bit less clear, actually, because mm, Hispanics hate the Democrat Party, right? Right now, however, some of these other third world countries, uh, they do vote very, very Democrat, for example, you know, if they're coming from India or, or from China. And so, yes, it is for political purposes, but it, it also just seems as if the American Democrat Party, they have such disgust and disdain and contempt for the American project and its current form. It's that whatever we can possibly do to, to destroy this thing so we can remake it in our image. So destruction must come before remaking. I don't even know if they have be, that second piece of it, Charlie. I don't even know if they do want to remake it. I don't I don't know what they want. I, Just, I think destruction. I is tend to goal. agree. I'm trying to be I'm trying to be nice. You know, I'm trying to like maybe <laughs> they have some sort of thing. But no, these people are arsonists. I mean, look at what they're doing to our currency. Our currency is getting absolutely obliterated. Inflation is a country buster, as Donald Trump would say. What they're doing with immigration, what at every single turn, the American Democrat Party has proven that they want to burn this nation. And Megan, that's it. I want to just reiterate it. I know many people in your audience are listening and say, boy, that's really tough for me to believe. OK, I want to be clear that it's not your Democrat neighbor that lives next to you, you know, on the right. Upper East Side. They, they might be co-sponsoring it through their vote. But the average Democrat elite or in the not their average, but the Democrat elite in the, the ruling class, they have a philosophical or ideological agenda that could be best described by bitterness towards the country. And it's reflected by their policy decisions. It's reflected in what they say openly. And the, the only way to stop it is to try to create a critical mass. And I think we're starting to get there. Uh, this, or, this, this issue in particular is not going away. Uh, it's only intensifying. Um, and the American yeah, Democrat uh, Party is finally time. being exposed.
That's right. All right. One other thing on immigration, uh, and then we'll take a break and, and move on to other subjects. Um, the border bill, so-called. <laughs> it's not really a border bill, but what happened was Joe Biden wanted $61 billion for Ukraine. He wants now, it was 11, it's more like 15 billion for Israel. And the Republicans not really in a spending mood, given the problems that we have. Finally, by the way, finally not in a spending mood, said, yes. yeah, no. And if we're going to give you anything, we have to have some border security in exchange for it. And now there is a proposed deal. But late yesterday, Mitch McConnell was quoted behind closed doors in the Senate as saying we can't do it because President Trump doesn't want to give the Dems a win in an election year. And Mitt Romney came out of the closed door meeting saying this is outrageous. I can't believe this. Then others said, well, OK, he, that was overplayed. But yes, there was some sort of thumb uh, thumb on the scale by Trump behind the scenes. Like, no. My own take on this, having listened to a bunch of people on it, Charlie, is that it's a terrible border bill. <laughs> it's yes, mm -hmm. it's more than we've had, but that's not saying much. You know, thinnest kid at fat camp doesn't get us very far. And the money, really all we're getting is money. And as I understand it, the money that we get, you know, that the Biden administration devotes toward it, towards immigration right now is just to process more illegals. It's not to stop yeah, illegals. It's that's just right. to process them. And so like it's, right. it's it's a longer ticket to be here in the United States. So I it doesn't seem like a good deal at all. I, I get that it's a little bit more than we had and that the money would stay available for when a Republican took over, however. But it's like the whole it's just such a fig leaf. And I just I, I'm having trouble feeling bad that it's falling apart. Where do you stand? No, it, it's a terrible deal. And in fact, no deal is better than this deal because this deal gives work permits to the illegals, which makes them basically permanently in this country. And they need to be deported. If Donald Trump is to become president, they need to be deported back to their country of origin, period, hard stop. You cannot have yes. a country and have six million foreigners come in and remain and still call yourself a country. So this border, quote unquote, deal, we actually don't know the details. We only know some leaking and some reporting. Uh, Rosemary Jenks did some reporting here from Senator Lankford's office. So I want to make sure your audience is clear. We're, we're kind of doing this on the fly. We think we know some of the details, but based on some of the leaked details, they Chuck Schumer said, well, we can get the legal border crossings down to 5,000 a day. Wait, time out. So you can cut it in half if you want, Chuck Schumer. They're acknowledging, Megan, they could get Wait, to zero the if they Republicans, want. And the Republicans were like, no, it has to be 3,000. <laughs> Even the Republicans the, are, yeah. are not saying it has to be zero. Yeah, w w way to drive a hard bargain, guys. Yeah, you know, we're, we're okay with 3,000, which for all of you keeping it score, uh, score at home, that's uh, 90,000 a month, okay? And nearly a million a year. So the Republican way, position way, on immigration- on that score, on that score under President Trump back in 2019, the illegal border crossings were about 60,000 a month, 60,000. Again, not ideal, yes. but Trump was doing something about it, 60. And and now we're talking about a minimum of, you know, 90, whatever. It, it, the numbers are egregious. And, and just FYI, just for comparison's sake, um, in December of this past year, they were up to 302,000 illegal crossings, okay, from 60. Yes. Uh, under Trump. And we, we've, we've, we've never seen anything like that. And and like this. And so then the Republicans also said that they're negotiating, which they're really just surrendering because they're being held hostage by Chuck Schumer. They say, well, OK, so fine. Uh, three thousand. So their counter is let's make it three thousand a month instead of 
you know, 3,000 a day instead of 12 or 15,000. The, the, the offer should be zero. And then the, the second part of this is they, they want to increase legal immigration and harmony with this, which is to give more H-1B visas like out of nowhere as if, yeah, the, the solution to this is just more people all the time and more cheap labor. And so that's kind of a somewhat of a separate but also just egregious and repulsive detail. And then finally, what they they were talking about in the leaked part of this is they, they're not actually changing remain in Mexico. They're not changing any of the details that could quell this or could actually make this. Their deportations are not a part of this at all. So Chuck nope. Schumer looks at this and he is basically taunting us and he's saying, yeah, you know, we, we can get to zero, but we don't we're not going to get to zero because the future of the Democrat Party relies on 5000 people a day. And, you know, 5000 people. Let me ask you this, because the, the concern is that now that the that the Republicans appear, although we don't know, but for now they appear to be turning on this deal like no, um, of course, Good. the Dems are going to freak out and they're going to blame the whole thing. On the Republicans, you, the whole next year, Joe Biden's going to be out there saying, I tried. We proposed a deal. The Republicans, the obstructionist Republicans in Congress refused it. Now, will the American people buy that? I I, I don't know. This was why I got a little fired up at Speaker Johnson. I spoke to Speaker Johnson over the weekend after I hit him very hard on our podcast. Um, and he reached out. It was a good conversation. As I said, that's why you should have shut down the government before the Senate deal came out is that you should have shut down the government before they have any sort of moral high ground to say that we put sort of, sort of bipartisan deal. And my advice to him, both privately and publicly, was you should have shut down the government, which I know it, people don't like, and he should have went straight to Eagle Pass, Texas, and set up a series of tents and say, if you want to reopen the government, you must come to Eagle Pass, Texas in front of cameras, and let's talk and let's negotiate. That would have been an offensive, aggressive move. That's not how D.C. usually works. If he would have actually physically moved himself to Eagle Pass, Texas, imagine the optics, Megan. Every day he'd be doing interviews, and the media would be like torn. Do we cover this? Do we not? Because you know how it works in a shutdown. They always want to put their hand out. Uh, comment, Mr. Speaker, do you think the government's going to reopen? And imagine, you know, all these guys having to get in a, get in a plane and go to Eagle Pass and say, listen, this is why we're here. This is 6,000 fighting age males that are coming across every single day. Now, whether it would have worked, would have Biden capitulated? Possibly. I've never seen public opinion polls where Democrats are so weak on an issue in the modern era, Megan. 12% of American voters, I, I, might, I might be off by a couple, but like 12 to 18% approve of Joe Biden's handling of the border. And it, this is the issue that you could have gone to bat on. I am but somewhat so, afraid that- But you can that, tell they smell blood in the water on this. They're losing on this. Yes, I we saw it in the exit that, that, polls in Iowa. We saw the exit yes. polls in New Hampshire. But enter, okay, I'll just give you a flavor because you know this is where it's going to go. Um, Joe Scarborough, uh, this, this, this morning, <laughs> I think, on, yeah. on Donald Trump. Listen to this, uh, three. You've got Donald Trump saying, let fentanyl flood across the border and kill Americans over the next year. Let illegal immigrants keep flooding over the border. Let's not have a solution. This is really this one is... of them that just really clarify and tell you the whole story, which is, are you working on behalf of the country? Are you working on behalf of people who want to see the border crisis resolved, that they don't want oh drugs flooding in, that they think there should be an orderly and legal immigration system in this country? That's what you've said you've wanted for generations. Oh, my God. <laughs> Willie Geist. This guy's unbelievable. Well, he, he admits it's a border crisis. There we go. It, it, that, that, Wait, before before it, you weigh in, actually, can I just play Gavin Newsom, too? Because he exploited it already, sure. too. And, we're, and we're, you know, sure. you know, his role. Take a listen to him. Stop for. I did, it's so pathetically weak, this Republican Party. 
And the new speaker said, oh, yes, sir, what else would you like us to do? We don't care about America. We don't care about our freedoms and liberties. We care about politics exclusively at the expense of the American people because all we care about is winning for winning's sake. That is shameful. Mm-hmm. Okay, get Man. used to that. These people are such liars, and they have intentionally ignored the border, ignored it. And now that people are noticing, all of a sudden they say, well, it's the Republicans' fault for not putting forth a, a border plan or a comprehensive plan. First of all, the Republicans have. They passed something called H.R. 2. Uh, the Senate has not even taken that up for a vote. Everyone should look it up. House Resolution 2, which is a firm and clear border plan. And my question to Gavin Newsom and these repulsive people on MSNBC. If it was all about politics, why is Abbott and 25 red state governors mobilizing the National Guard and playing with what could be the greatest constitutional crisis of the modern era? Do you think they do that lightly? They're doing that because it is a crisis and it's destroying our communities and drugs are flowing in and people are are demanding reform on the border. But look, I'm, I'm a little bit encouraged because I don't know if that media narrative is going to sink in, which goes to my other point, Megan, which is I, I put this on Twitter, which is exactly what I'm going to talk about. I believe we're winning on the border thanks to Elon Musk liberating Twitter and X. I go back to this. This is a theme I talk about frequently on my podcast, which is because we have a one, a single liberated social media platform, which is the incubator of influencer and elite opinion. I don't think them screaming on MSNBC is going to be nearly as impactful as it was a couple of years ago. And I'll prove it to you. Greg Abbott's letter, which was a beautiful letter, has now been viewed over 40 million times on Twitter or X. Elon Musk went down to the border and did a live stream exposing what was happening on the border. These all were the building blocks of moving public and independent-minded opinion on what's happening on the border. Beforehand, I don't know if we would have been able to do that. Not to mention this podcast and our podcast and all these different shows that are starting to get the message out. The gatekeepers of the narrative, they no longer are able to control it. And they're largely on defense because millions and tens of millions of people are able to get the truth outside of just reading the New York Times or watching CNN or watching MSNBC. And I truly believe Elon Musk, Elon Musk is largely to credit for that. You're so right. Not to mention, we've talked before about the trans thing. You could not debate the trans yes, issue on that's X. That's right. And now it's a winning Elon issue. Musk. Yeah. Yes, I mean, people are exactly. uh, exposed to differing opinions, to the stories about the trophies being stolen and the 50 year old in the pool with the 12 year olds. We wouldn't know about that stuff if it were still being run by Jack Dorsey and his people. And it was still called Twitter. All right. Stand by. Quick break. There's so much more to get through. I'm so happy to have you here. Charlie Kirk's with us for the full show. Don't go away. So, Charlie, we'll get into uh, the polling and where we think Trump is versus Biden in these swing states, because you've had some interesting commentary on that. Uh, but first, just let's spend a minute on Joe Biden. And, you know, he's I think the Democrats think he's a much better candidate when they don't see him and they don't hear from him. You know, like uh, Van Jones was saying, he should stay hidden That's right. over the next 10 months. Yes. Right. And he's 100 percent right, because when he's not hidden, he's out at um, places like superior wisconsin uh thursday saying things like this about beer brewing i guess take a listen on top of another billion dollars to clean up the great lakes which provide drinking water for 20 million people 20 million people and by the way used to make the beer brewed here <laughs> it is used to make the brew beer here in this 
Ooh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. I wonder why he's talking about Huh? What? I, if, if I was, this is the other advice I gave to Speaker Johnson. He needs to introduce a piece of legislation by law. We need subtitles for the President of the United States. I can't understand what he's saying half the time. It has to just be, we need closed cap, we need closed captioning as if he's like a foreign leader. I feel as if I need to have one of those translating devices. I don't know what that is. I don't know understand. what he's saying. We, we should understand. Well, I think you have a right. That's what I said. I was half joking. I said, we as the American taxpayer and we as the citizens of the United States, we have a moral obligation to know what our president is saying. I, I don't know what that was. He has a ten- Joe Biden has a tendency to just kind of go deep into these slurs. And, w- you know, without speculating too much medically, um, I, I've, you know, talked to several people, in, neurologists and just anyone that has a brain in medicine, they say he's not improving. Let's just put it that way. Is that it, it, it's it is a. It is a decline, and he has defied odds. He has lasted a lot longer than I thought he has. So I guess it's a it's a power to modern medicine, I suppose. I mean, I love your idea. However, the poor transcription person, what are they supposed to do? Do they have some superhuman powers that the rest of us do not have? Like, who's going to be able to understand that? That's right. That's exact. I mean, I I think that he was saying something about beer in the Great Lakes. I think that's what he said, maybe. that he's turning uh, the the he's turning the maybe the water of Huron, Ontario, Ontario, Michigan, Erie or Superior into beer. <laughs> okay. That's what he was saying. He'll get back to us. I don't know. Uh, well, meantime, meantime, yeah. we've got his number two, who is focused on the world's problems right now and apparently gave an interview to Katie Couric, who resurfaced. And uh, in, in it's supposed to be one of the one of the lighter moments, I think, that's meant to make us fall in love with Kamala Harris. Um, you tell me whether it's having that effect on you. Take a listen here. I re- recently learned you're only 5'2". Is that, that true? That is absolutely incorrect. Okay. <laughs> I am 5'4 and a quarter. Okay, and I'm 5'3". Sometimes 5'4 and a half and with heels, which I always wear, I'm 5'7 and a half. Thank you very much. Okay, Wikipedia, you're wrong, and we I'm need totally to correct wrong. that. I've said this to my team. Like, what? I don't know where it came from. I've, I was 5'2 when I was 12. They say I'm five one on my Wikipedia page. Five three and three quarters. Right. <laughs> and shrinking. It's like literally, you, they just want to just make us smaller in every way. The damn patriarchy. She means you. That's you're doing it. Yeah. So first of all, people that are and I, this is a generalization that are so fixated on their height are not tall. That's just, I mean, people say, Charlie, how tall are you? I don't know. I'm, I'm tall. Okay. I could be six, two or six, four. I don't know. I'm a tall, I'm a tall. It's just like, it's, it doesn't mean anything to me. But uh, the other part of that is that she embraces like Kamala Harris, like I'm just being awestruck in your presence. It's like the greatest thing ever. I mean, could you imagine could, could just like a mainstream media person being that buddy, buddy with a Republican? No, it, it just no. it, it, it is really remarkable. And I know um, honestly, look, shows like I, some professional distance. I think that, you know, the Democrats say, boy, Joe Biden's not polling well. But what we have next could potentially be even worse. I mean, Kamala Harris might be one of the most just undesirable politicians in in American life, from her cackle to her unpopularity. She um she she's she was there just because Joe Biden said she wanted the black female as vice president. And um, she is she's less popular than Joe Biden. And we all know it. I mean, Biden's not doing much better. I, every single clip we see of him, because it's OK, at least she could get the statement out coherently. I understood every word she said. I didn't respond to them. They res- did not resonate with me. Her obsession with and I'm five, seven yes. with my heels on, which I wear every day. She sounded a little bit like the Nikki Haley thing from the, 
you know, in their bag oh, yeah. and she'll like, just, just stop. Right. Like, oh, no I, 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 it is it. so cringe. It's so, it's like this, I'm, I, I'm sorry, this sounds bad. This fake girl power thing, which drives me right. nuts, which is you know, and Nikki Haley every other week. It's nauseating Megan. And I think it actually does disservice to strong female leaders like yourself. And she's like, well, a woman has, I mean, it was like some tweet. It's like, she always has to just remind us. And she's, you know, like, for example, this is like, you know, uh, only, you know, the, the first man running for president, she's like, well, a woman hasn't done this. It's like, it's like her whole shtick of the campaign. And it's like this fake girl power thing. Um, yeah. I think it turns a lot of people off. In fact, I think it turns a lot of female voters off. I think it's just no, we it's know remarkably cringe. Yeah, we know she's a woman. Yes. She doesn't have to keep reminding us. Like, stop making it an issue. Like, if anything, you should never mention it, especially when you're running as a Republican. Yes. You're not a Democrat. We don't fall for identity politics. We don't like them. We're trying no. to get rid of them. We don't want to celebrate them. That's so right. she's learning that the hard way. Exactly. All right, stand by. Another break. There's bizarrely something I really want to talk to you about, and it includes Amy Robach and TJ Holmes and their bizarre new podcast, which will play in part. Let's talk politics, because I saw your tweet and it kind of dovetailed with something I had heard on one of the podcasts I listened to about some some trouble for Trump that needs to be shorn up over the next 10 months. You you said um, your, it was your warning. You said, I could tell you right now, Is we are getting our tails lawfare? kicked yeah. in, okay, oh, yeah. in Arizona, yeah. Wisconsin and Georgia. I come after this from infrastructure and machinery uh, that and that we are currently on pace to lose in November. So you're, you're sounding the alarm in Arizona, Wisconsin, and Georgia. And on that same front, um, I was listening to our pal, Tom Bevan. He's got a good podcast under the Real Clear Politics banner. Mm -hmm. And um, he put on this pollster from Pennsylvania. And you know, Tom is totally fair. He is not a Trump hater at all. Yes, he's excellent. So he he's put, excellent. He put on this pollster uh, from Susquehanna Polling and it showed that in Pennsylvania, which an earlier poll had shown Trump leading Biden in, now Biden's leading Trump by seven points, 46 to 39. And this guy, his name is James Lee, said Trump is underperforming with Republicans in a way um, that is that is dragging his support down statewide with Republicans. He's talking about it because he dropped um, from 45 in September in that poll down to 39 in the current poll. And he said the support he's losing is with Republicans. And he said, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that we're seeing a competition for the nomination with Nikki Haley. Um, he said he was only getting 77 percent of the Republican vote. That's not enough. In the last survey, he was in the mid 80s. And most people agree Trump needs to be a 90 plus with Republicans to win. You know, given just mm -hmm. there aren't there are more Democrats than there are Republicans. And then there's a huge amount of independents in the country. Uh, but just in, in terms of registrations, there are way more Democrats than there are Republicans. So as a Republican running, you've got to win almost all of your own party and you have to win a healthy share of the independents in order to win, you know, the presidency. So he's saying 77 percent is not enough. He's pointing Nikki Haley still being out there as a problem for him with the Republican vote in Pennsylvania and um, just identifying some trouble for him in this critical swing state. And you're identifying other trouble. So let's talk about it. What is the trouble as you see it and mm -hmm. how does he address it? Well, there's a lot of trouble on the horizon. And I, I try to always, if, if people are too excited, I try to bring things down. If people are too low, I try to bring things up. So, you know, six months ago, people say, you know, 
Trump can't win and all this. And then I'd say, no, 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 look at here's the case of how we could do it. Now I think it's the opposite, Megan. People are way too cocky on the right. I mean, I'm getting these text messages where they, this one person, I kid you, I, I nearly threw my phone. This one person said, Charlie, do you think I can get invited to the White House Christmas party? I said, what? Are oh, we, my God. What, are you kidding me? <laughs> no, no, it was, I'm not kidding you, Megan. I just, I nearly threw my phone. And it, it was like one step short of, you know, can, can, you, can you make sure that, you know, the, the measuring the drapes or whatever people yeah. say, it's just so repulsive. And, and so look, I think there's too much cockiness. The prediction markets do think Donald Trump is going to win, but those things change all the time. We have an electoral college system. It's going to come down to a handful of states. We believe at turning point action, which is our political arm, it's going to come down to Arizona, Wisconsin, Georgia, which collectively Donald Trump fell 42,000 votes short in the 2020 election. Um, there is legitimate questions of kind of self-identified Republicans and suburbs. Are they going to come home to Trump? To the point for the Susquehanna polar, uh, that, that pollster is exactly what I would have said in a primary. Those numbers typically do go down and they recover. So there's plenty of time to, re to kind of remedy that. A couple thoughts, though. We don't know the RFK uh, situation. We know he's going to be on the ballot in all 50 states. I have warned for quite some time. It hurts Donald Trump more than it hurts Joe Biden. I think that's changing. Uh, I think that's changing in real time. I think RFK has an opportunity to become a protest vote for black voters and younger voters. Um, and so that's interesting. We're going to keep an eye on that. Uh, young men are trending more in Trump's direction uh, as kind of a protest FU vote. We hear that a lot on campus. We see that in the data. You know, I'm not going to go along with the trans agenda, the woke agenda, the affirmative action, DEI. And Trump kind of represents a stick it to the man, especially for young male voters. Young females will definitely go more towards in the Joe Biden direction, primarily on the abortion topic. I, I will say, though, that what I'm trying to tell Republicans, stop the guessing, stop the speculating, stop wondering if you're going to get invited to the White House Christmas party and get to work, which is why, Megan, on Monday uh, at Turning Point Action, we're hosting an alternate RNC meeting in Vegas, same place, uh, the hotel next to where the RNC is hosting their winter meeting, because uh, we believe the RNC is not doing the job. We think Ronna McRomney is a loser, uh, and she is not properly equipped to make the Republicans prepared to win an awfully winnable election. And Megan, I know you feel this way. If you were just outside of all the other dynamics and the lack of party machinery, what issue set favors which side? It is like a 99% issue set that should favor Republicans. The economy is not what it should be. There's high inflation, the border crisis. They're transing and grooming our kids. Foreign policy stuff is a complete disaster. That is an issue set where it's advantage Republicans almost every single time. And if we don't win it, it's going to be the fault of the RNC and the Republican infrastructure and the Republican establishment. I will say one of the things that will be advantage Trump is that it looks as if no labels is going to put a candidate in. It looks like Cornell West is still running. Jill Stein is still running. And if RFK still runs, it's probably going to be a race to 40 or 41% in some of these states mm -hmm. that the winner is going to be the winner of the plurality, not the majority, which will drive the Democrats nuts because they hate that. They go they go crazy anytime that occurs, even though Bill Clinton won with a plurality of votes back when Ross Perot ran in the 1990, uh, 1988, 1992 election, I'm sorry, and the 1996 92. election. Um, yeah, 92 and 96, he won with a plurality, not a majority. So it remains to be seen, but what I think Republicans need to focus far more on is the boring stuff, ballot chasing, voter registration, getting into the 
streets. We're hiring 300 full-time people at Turning Point Action to be full-time ballot chasers in Arizona and Wisconsin alone. We want to do even more than that. It's going to be the largest deployment of full-time get-out-the-vote election workers that the Republican conservative side has ever seen. So we're trying to do our part. Uh, We're not making any predictions of whether it's going to be decisive or not, but we can say that if this work is not done, we're probably going to fall short. Um, But Wait, let me ask Donald you, what, Trump, what is ballot chasers? Yeah, please. What, what does that mean? Yeah, so the, the Democrats employ thousands of these people, uh, and a ballot chaser in states where you're not allowed to touch or assume custody of the ballot, uh, they are invested in a 30-day period to go after low propensity voters. So people that might somewhat fit the profile of uh, what is a likely voter for your preferred candidate. So for example, if you're on the right, maybe someone who has a hunting license, they own firearms, um, and they're a white male in their mid-40s, but they haven't voted in quite some time. Uh, that, that's, mm-hmm. some, that's somebody who fits the profile who is likely going to be you know, a Donald Trump voter or a likely Trump voter. In the 30-day period before actually election day, since you have these states that have nearly universal mail-in balloting like we have here in Arizona, you try to find that low propensity voter. So Earl, who's a plumber, and we know he has a hunting license, and we know that he owns firearms, and you knock on the door, and you try to persuade or convince Earl to fill out that ballot and chase that ballot and get that into the mail. Now, you can't touch the ballot. You can't assume custody. You can't fill it out for him, but you can persuade him. You could build a relationship. The Democrats have done this. They've deployed thousands of full-time ballot chasers, and they've done it on the inverse. So they target people that care about the climate. They they target people that care about the race stuff. And abortion is the superpower issue that they can micro-target. And so you have a lot of young, single, professional, corporate-driven women in their late 20s and early 30s, where abortion is the primary topic. Um, It's something Republicans struggle with. It's something Democrats dominate with. And so they deploy these full-time ballot chasers in that 30-day period, and they'll knock on doors. um, And it's, you know, Susie, who's 28 years old and, you know, went to Arizona State University and, you know, she lives in in her apartment and she may or may not usually vote, but she had a ballot sent to her home and the Democrat operative knows that there's a ballot sent to their home. And the person knocking on the door is a colleague. So it's a female to female, 20 something to 20 something. And she'll say, listen, the Republicans are going to take away your right to choose. I need you to fill in that ballot. Let's do yeah, this together. They're going to take your birth and this control. Is what, they're going to take everything. Exactly. Wait, let me ask you exactly. This. So and, the psychological aversion from by Republicans to voting by mail remains. You know, one yes, of the downsides correct. to Trump with the you know questions about the election integrity for the past X years is people don't trust. They don't trust if they put their ballot mm-hmm. in the mail and send it in that the person who receives it is going to do what's right, what's legally required. That's that right. The Trump vote is going to suddenly just slide into the garbage late at night when no one's looking. That's right. So what? And I understand that fear. So it's that's why Republicans want to vote day of. But they are going to con- continue to lose if they only do day of voting and Correct. the other side does yes. so much mail in. So what do you want people to know on that front? Yeah. So first of all, low propensity voters is icing on the cake. So these are voters that might not have voted at all. And it's going to the, the trick and the challenge, Megan, for our ballot chasers is going to knock on the door and somebody says, what? I don't want to vote. The election is rigged. That's going to be the number one chief objection. And we're going to get become experts on how to navigate that conversation. Secondly, Donald Trump needs to offer us air support by every single day. He needs to say, hey, you have to tr- you have to vote by mail if you're it's OK. We have to do it. We have to maximize it. And if he says that it will make our job even easier. Right. Which is why 
just saying that every election is rigged is probably not going to be helpful. I fully acknowledge and admit, Megan, they might they might put the you know put the ballot you know aside. They might do shenanigans, but not voting is a guarantee that they're going to win. At least participating in the system gives us a chance. But also, Megan, there's other ways, which is we're chasing ballots, and they'll say, "Well, I don't trust mail-in balloting." Now we're legally allowed to say, "Hey, but would you like a ride to the early voting in-person early voting center?" Which we found in with DeSantis in Florida that that's a good bridge. So Arizona has a massively underutilized. Um, in-person early voting infrastructure where you can go, no lines, still vote in person three or four days ahead of election day. Our fear is that we're if we don't fix the process of which we vote and maximize to the best of our ability the early voting mechanisms, we're going to have a redux of Cary Lake 2.0 where I went to go vote on election day in 2022 and it was an hour and a half wait and the machines failed and people were getting out of line and I'll never forget Megan there was a young lady she was in scrubs she was a nurse um she walks up hour and a half wait she says well forget this gets back in her car now I don't know if she came later in the day there's no guarantee that she did but the long lines on election day and almost inviting machine malfunction or tabulation is is unacceptable if we want to win and the democrats they have perfected the system where they have banked their votes to such a certain extent that we're not even able to overcome anything close we would need 99.8 percent turnout on election day you can't get that for anything people get sick or they travel or they forget and the the problem that i and i Yes, exactly. Like what we saw in northern Nevada in the Adam Laxalt race, right? Um, In northern Nevada, there was a terrible winter storm. If 2,100 more human beings would have showed up on Election Day, you would have had a Republican center in the state of Nevada, and the Senate would be 50-50, and the Democrats would have a tiebreaker of Kamala Harris. It would be a completely different type of dynamic. And that was back in the 2022 midterm. So Adam Laxalt would be a senator. He lost by like 22,000 votes to uh, Cortez Masto. So our philosophy is this, is that if we keep on acting as if we're in a 2016 election format, where election day is decisive, we're going to lose. And the number that I repeat that I know the best in the state of Georgia, in 2018, when it was Kemp versus uh, Abrams, Stacey Abrams, the first time, over two, about 247,000 people voted by mail in the state of Georgia. In the 2020 election during COVID, that number was 2.6 million. It, in, it, wow. it, it, it in, increased by a factor of nearly 10, and it's near 3 million now. We have, the ball game has completely changed. We have to change alongside of it. I don't like it. I wish we had same day paper balloting the way they do it in France. But the Democrats have sued using the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, uh, and many of these other um, very crafty legal methods, largely architected by Mark Elias, to increase the mail-in balloting infrastructure because they have always been angry and mad that enthusiasm is what won elections. And you think about it, Megan, Republicans, you know, they're, they, they take ele- you know, election day really seriously. You get in your car, you go to the voting place. Democrats say, how can we get the person who doesn't really care, the the 25-year-old on the couch that might be sympathetic to our abortion policies, how do we get them to vote easier? You send them a piece of paper, you have someone knock on the door and try to get that piece of paper submitted. It's, it, I believe this is going to be one of the more decisive elements of the 2024 election this November, the boring stuff, the infrastructure, the machinery, and currently we are significantly outgunned on this front versus the Democrats. Ooh. Who besides you is is undertaking these operations in these swing states? Well, the Republican Party should. Uh, we're not aware of any robust effort. Um, 
yeah, I, I don't want to speak. We have not been aware of, of anybody else. If they are, oh uh, they're, they're, if anybody else is high, if, if anyone else is hiring 300 full time people and raising the capital to do that in Arizona and Georgia, uh, I would love to meet them because just hiring this, 300 this people, people, um, this is what Republicans need to be spending their money on. This this is what they need to be spending their money on because they do have winning positions on yeah. these issues. That but they do yes. need to do a better job now that the Democrats have won the fight over how we vote of getting their party to vote in this new way that they distrust. Yes. They just there's right. no other right. way to win. Um, all right, I want to keep cannot, going because there's a lot more. You to cannot get to. win Let's through talk the traditional about methods. Thank you. Um, yes. Okay. Speaking of the Democrats being very clever in how they win elections. Fannie Willis is one of the people going after Trump in Georgia. She's the DA who uh, says he committed a RICO violation. And there are some updates now in the case against her. The audience by now is familiar with the fact that she's under examination for having an alleged affair with her special prosecutor she brought in, Nathan Wade, and paying him what looks like much, much more than the other two special prosecutors, and then taking trips all over the world with the guy on the taxpayer dime. All of it looks Mm -hmm. corrupt. Could potentially be a bribe, could potentially be a violation of law that she's going to have to answer for in a criminal court herself, and it could potentially get her bumped off of this case. Do I think it'll get the case dumped? I don't, but I don't think Fannie Willis has any business staying on this case, and that's all going to be litigated. The latest on it is she and Nathan Wade are expected to be subpoenaed for a hearing on the affair allegation. So it looks like they are actually going to have to provide witness testimony at this hearing and, you know, so far, neither one has denied it. Neither one has spoken to it. They said they'd address it, address it in motion practice, but they haven't. So um, the hearing, which takes place on February 15th, could include live testimony from both Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade. Oh, which, that's I mean, going to be must watch TV. Put it on your calendar. Now, secondly, oh, yeah, Trump Trump filed something interesting in this case. He's kind of let this other defendant run her, run herd on the Fannie Willis problems. That's fine. Trump's got enough legal issues to deal with. But Trump and his attorneys just weighed in on the Fannie thing legally. And they are they filed a motion in Fulton County Superior Court regarding Willis. And it, it zeroes in on the speech he gave at the Big Bethel AME Church that we've played in part for our audience over this past week, where she got up there and made it all about race and, you know, got very political. She was supposed to be giving a speech on MLK Day. Instead, she made it all about herself and her alleged lover and how what victims they are. And the allegations that Trump is making in this motion are that um, these constitute, I'm quoting here, a glaring, flagrant and calculated effort to foment racial bias in this case by publicly denouncing the defendants for somehow daring to question her decision to hire a black man without also mentioning that she is alleged to have had a workplace affair with the same man to be a special prosecutor. These assertions by the DA engender a great likelihood of substantial prejudice toward the defendants in the eyes of the public in general and prospective jurors in Fulton County in particular. They say that these remarks, which I'll play for you in part right now, amount to a violation of Georgia's rules of professional conduct, which require prosecutors in criminal cases to, quote, refrain from making extrajudicial comments that have a substantial likelihood of heightening public condemnation of the accused. Here is just a snippet of what he's talking about in SOT. I think it's 11. Why does Commissioner Thorne and so many others question my decision in a special counsel? I appointed three special counselors. Is my right to do? Paid them all the same hourly rate? They only attacked one. 
first thing they say, oh, she gonna play the race card now. But no, God, isn't it them who's playing the race card when they only question one? Why are they so surprised that a diverse team that I assembled, your child, can accomplish extraordinary things? God, wasn't it them that attacked this lawyer of impeccable credentials? How come God, the same black man I hired, was acceptable when a Republican in another county hired him and paid him twice the rate? Oh, y'all ain't hear me. Why is the white male Republican's judgment good enough, but the black female Democrats not? It's pretty extraordinary and it's a pretty clever objection by Team Trump because they're absolutely right. Yes. I mean, it is extraordinary to hear a prosecutor talking like this. Well, yeah. And I mean, there, there's so many layers to this. First of all, she, she's in big trouble. And if, if she did end up having a romantic relationship, which it seems that she did with Nathan Wade, uh, then she should be dismissed immediately. And you could make an argument, which it's not enforced and it's kind of a antiquated law in some ways, uh, that adultery is a felony in the state of Georgia. So somebody very oh, well boy. might uh, have to answer. Again, it's not, it's not, it's almost never enforced, but it's still on the books. That's still, you could fact check it. It is still on the books in the state of Georgia. Well, at a so, minimum, uh, she ran, she ran it's for a, office. It's a misdemeanor. It's a misdemeanor. I want to be clear. Yes. But I was going to say, yes. you, separate right. from the criminal matter, she promised the voters she would never do this. So as an ethical and a political matter, it's yeah. two strikes against her. Keep going. Right. No. And then the other layer, which is, I, I think we could come after this from another perspective, is remember Nathan Wade invoiced saying that he was communicating with the Biden White House, billable hours to the White House counsel's office on multiple occasions. So that deserves some sort of explanation. There finally is some Senate board overseeing this to look into it. And, and But F Fannie Willis, this is, this is the playbook. How dare you look into me? How dare you question anything? And it's because I'm a black female. No, it's not. You're the first person besides Alvin Bragg to indict a former president of the United States on the most silly insane RICO charge ever. And now that we are criticizing and looking into you, you're going to play the black female race card. And by the way, what what in Nathan Wade's experience as a personal injury lawyer prepares him to work on, you know, work on this for six hundred thousand cumulative dollars? What it's, it's as if you hire Better Call Saul as a personal injury lawyer to come alongside of you to go after Donald Trump. And this is a sweetheart deal that is being exposed, thankfully, because of these divorce proceedings. And look, Fannie Willis has been the darling of the left wing media. Um, if you, the New York Times did a whole cover story on her last year, they really were ramp, you know, amping it up. Do you notice how Georgia has not received a lot of attention lately, Megan, that they're kind of ignoring mm -hmm. this? There was a lot of hype around Georgia and they say, oh, Donald Trump's in legal perils. But if you read the legal peril arguments, they all kind of point to the Jack Smith stuff and they point to documents and they point to the insurrection or whatever, all that nonsense, because they know they have a serious problem here because the prosecutor and the investigator who might be removed, who could be removed by the special Senate hearing, um, they're looking into it, all the different nefarious activity is that the prosecutor herself uh, is engaging in prosecutorial misconduct um, and potential 
potentially illegal behavior. Um, and it's a shame because you look at all the other defendants, uh, whether it be Rudy Giuliani or Mark Meadows, that have to spend hundreds of thousands and near millions of dollars to defend themselves. I want to find out who's actually pulling the strings here. If Nathan Wade actually had multiple billable hours to the Biden White House counsel's office, did the Biden White House counsel's office get tipped off ahead of time? Were they the one coordinating this? Are they the coordinating hub of the lawfare attack against Donald Trump? This is what interests me even more they than, it. you know, Fannie Willis's. Well, they deny it. But yeah. then what was this all about? Why is Nathan Wade billing the taxpayers of no, Fulton County of multiple times? Yes. Yeah. Because it's, it's a the huge question. The, the Biden White House, they deny having anything to do with this. You know, they've done, jumped through 10,000 legal hoops to, to make it look no, like they right. have nothing to do with any of these prosecutions. And then there's a bill by Nathan Wade for having after having met with the White House counsel's office about this case. So which is it? What, what, and yep. Nathan Wade's about to take the stand on February 15th in this courthouse. And you can bet that the cross examiners are going to say what was discussed. What was this for? Now, it could just be. Are there documents we need that are related to this? We'll find out. But it was a couple of meetings. It wasn't just one. And yes. you know, he's going to have to answer for it. Just, just uh, two things. You're referencing it today in Georgia. The GOP controlled state Senate is debating and will reportedly vote on a resolution that would create a committee to investigate Fannie Willis. The panel would have no power to sanction her, but could subpoena evidence and witnesses to dredge up embarrassing information. That's interesting because we don't know what this judge um, in, you know, the the cases down in Georgia, the ones against Trump and his co-defendants or the divorce case in which this all got started we don't know what any of them is going to have to say about this. So this is sort of a backup politically. And speaking of politically yes. down in Georgia, the Fulton County supervisor named Bridget Thorne, who was referenced by Fannie Willis in that church tirade she went on, has now weighed in on what happened between the two of them when Bridget Thorne had the temerity to ask Fannie Willis, what's what's the deal with these Nathan Wade expenditures I'm supposed to be answering to the taxpayers of Fulton County. Why is he getting paid so much? And take a listen to what she said. Transparency was not there. But as I've skimmed through it, um, the allegations are frightening. Um, I believe we need some transparency. As I asked her um, how much this election interference case was costing the county, the answer I got was that Lady Justice has no price, and I wasn't given any amounts. Thirdly, when I asked her about the Nathan um, R. Wade expenditures in particular, um, I didn't get an answer. I was told that I'm just picking on him because he's black. <laughs> That's your only card I'm sorry. Hold on a second. Almost every person in the Fulton County government at this point is black. So, I mean, that's just I mean, I, I hate to break it. If I, I, Again, it's not a race thing. When, you know, when Fannie Willis comes up and does a press conference, like 80 percent of the people working in her office are black. It's fine. I have no problem with that. So but it's just a silly thing to say. It's like, are, are we able to do our job as the supervisor office or not? You know, you, you can't you can't pick on anybody in it. But I will say this. Fannie Willis should be nervous. That is not a good enemy to have. You do not want to have the supervisor board looking into you uh, for a very specific reason. There's another uh, rule and protocol that Fannie Willis very well might have broken, which is a conflict of interest. When you submit your expenses to the supervisor's office in Fulton County, you have to fill out any sort of conflict of interest forms like, oh, yeah, hey, this is my brother. This is my sister. This is my cousin. Uh, this is my lover that I go on Caribbean cruises and go to Napa Valley with. Um, you have to you have to disclose that. And 
I don't know. I think the Fulton County supervisor is another attack vector here. I mean, look, they, they overreached when they went after Trump. One of these is going to break. One of these. And final, and, and final if I'm reading the prosecutor, prosecutor, prosecutor law correctly, I believe Brian Kemp can fire Fannie Willis at any point. Now, whether he's going to do that or not remains to be seen. He's not exactly a friend of Trump. He's trying to keep his distance. Uh, but the evidence is mounting that Fannie Willis herself might actually be the criminal here, not Donald Trump. Here's something extraordinary. Here's something that's never been uttered before. You and I are in agreement with Ellie Mistal, the very racist correspondent for the nation who's oh, on MSNBC he's regularly terrible. talking openly about his oh. hatred for whites. On on uh, MLK hair? Day, he was like, "I've had I've 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 had it for an hour and thirty minutes. That's all I could tolerate of the whites today, and I had to go back inside." <laughs> this guy does not he does not like white people. Okay, but I want you to no. hear this because what he's written here on this case is interesting, given his feelings on these issues. Uh, some highlights. I really can't defend Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis. I want to. And then he goes on to say, because he loves her prosecution of Trump. I want to, he adds, because I'm rooting for everybody black. I'm rooting for everybody black. That's his life <laughs> principle. Okay. But even this guy, okay, it gets better. Even this guy then goes on to say, but I can't or won't defend her from the salacious allegations leveled against her because if true, they represent a textbook case of public corruption, even if they shouldn't affect the case against Trump. This defendant, Roman, who filed this, he talks about him a bit, um, goes on to say uh, this is a hit job on a prominent black woman carried out, out by a longtime Republican operative. But still, just because it, this looks like a bad faith hit job does not mean it can be ignored. That's because if true, the relationship looks a lot like a kickback scheme. The time for Nathan Wade to get his ass gone from this case is now. If Willis is to be punished, it should be through the very electoral procedures she has used her office to defend. In the biggest case of her life, with the entire world watching, she apparently decided to hire her lover for a $650,000 government job. If true, that's not a mistake. It's not merely bad judgment. It's hubris. It's reckless. It's walking on a tightrope without a net while juggling live grenades because you've convinced yourself that gravity does not apply to you. All that's left now is the very long fall. Let's hope she doesn't drag the case down with her. Did Ellie write that? Yes. Can you believe that? that? That's that, that guy's like Mr. Black Power, as you say. I mean, th th that that's remarkable. I'm, I'm almost speechless. And. It's also it very well could win Donald Trump the state of Georgia. I mean, you have to remember this is happening in a battleground state, a state that Joe Biden uh, got the electoral votes back in 2020. And if Joe, if Donald Trump is able to come in and say, hey, you know, your local D.A. is a criminal looking into me, prosecutorial public corruption. I mean, that's going to be awfully persuasive. It's going to be impossible to cover up. And the 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 worst case scenario for Democrats with all this lawfare is if the cases start to fall apart. And it gets to be used as a boost and a boon for Donald Trump. It, it is, it is the, it, it is the rule, and you know this, Megan. You've been covering this for you know for a while, which is somebody actually can become far more popular and sympathetic if a prosecution falls apart post prosecution, if a jury acquits them, if the prosecution drops charges, because then they become a sympathetic figure. Oh my goodness, look what they went through. The government was overly aggressive. They were picking on you. And Donald Trump is right on the verge of that. I mean, they, they, that was the only place that did the mugshot. This is by far the most serious charges of even the Jack Smith stuff. They're going after RICO and public corruption and all this incredibly aggressive stuff. Mandatory all happening in a jury. 
Yes, exactly. All and, and 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 let's not forget, you know, Rachel Maddow reminded us in her little smirk and she never changes her wardrobe in the all black. She says, and remember, <laughs> Trump can't pardon Trump can't pardon himself in Georgia charges. Yeah. And that was like the little reminder. Up. That's the that's the little reminder. And so of all the ones that I wanted to see fall apart the most, it's this one in Fulton County, Georgia. And and it's predictable. Inner city Democrat politics. This stuff happens all the time, right? They have, you know, the, the brother is paying the sister who's paying the lover and all this stuff. They just don't usually get caught. And yeah. because the whole world is watching, this stuff is is amplified. And I think Fannie Willis has been she's freaking out a little bit because all of her defenders in the media are not they're not there. They're moving on. They're like, well, uh, how's that Alvin Bragg when case? When you've uh, lost Ellie Mistel, uh, there's no coming no, no, back. No. That's it. I don't know the, whether this, this is going to be broadcast. This thing's about to collapse. To, like if, if this is going to be broadcast publicly. I mean, obviously, we'll be watching and reporting on it. But I think the Trump trial down in Florida or in Georgia was supposed to be uh, broadcast. So let's see if Fannie Willis has to mm -hmm. take the stand uh, with a camera around. Wouldn't I mean, at a minimum, we're going to get a transcript. We're going to see what was said. There's no more denying. Oh, it. yeah, it's it's. D-Day's coming, lady. You're going to have to take the stand. That's right. And so is your alleged lover. And we're finally going to get some real answers on why he was talking to the White House and whether you actually traveled on the taxpayer's dime and you violated right. campaign promises and your ethical obligations and possibly the law while playing holier than thou savior for the Democrat Party in trying to put Trump right. behind bars. She, the irony that she could wind up in trouble with the criminal law long before he actually does. All right. Quick pause. Much more to get to. Stand by our last break here. Don't go away. I'm Megan Kelly, host of The Megan Kelly Show on Sirius XM. It's your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations with the most interesting and important political, legal, and cultural figures today. You can catch The Megan Kelly Show on Triumph, a Sirius XM channel featuring lots of hosts you may know and probably love. Great people like Dr. Laura, Glenn Beck, Nancy Grace, Dave Ramsey, and yours truly, Megan Kelly. You can stream The Megan Kelly Show on Sirius XM at home or anywhere you are, no car required. I do it all the time. I love the Sirius XM app. It has ad-free music coverage of every major sport, comedy, talk, podcast, and more. Subscribe now, get your first three months for free. Go to SiriusXM.com slash MKShow to subscribe and get three months free. That's SiriusXM.com slash MKShow and get three months free. Offer details apply. All right, Charlie, so you got yourself in some trouble uh, online because you're always stirring up trouble online. Oh, Reacting I'm such to a troublemaker. You are a troublemaker reacting to a June 2021 clip, but it was making the rounds on X of the CEO of United Airlines, Scott Kirby, talking about their their quotas over at United for, yes. you know, diversity in the ranks of pilots, which is extremely controversial for obvious reasons. Here's the clip that you were reacting to in South 13. Military. How is diversity and diversity targets working into the Aviate Academy? We have committed that 50% of the class of, of the classes will be women or people of color. Uh, today, only 19% of our pilots at United Airlines are women or people of color. And by the way, from all the data I've seen, that's the highest of any airline in the country. 
white males don't just dominate in the cockpits, also in the C-suite at United Airlines. Well, look, at United, I'm proud of the diversity that we actually have in our, our C-suite. I think if you look around corporate America. Correct me if I'm saying though. So I, this is just based off your website, the people you list as executives, but out of 11 people, three are women. I believe one is a person of color. Um, that's correct. Um, oh my God. But, you know, in corporate America, I think, you know. But that's a low bar. How do you yeah. raise your own bar? Well, a lot of this is, you know, focusing on it. We have uh, programs to, one of the things huh. we do is for every job when we do an interview, we require women and people of color to be involved in, in the interview process. Shut up. Oh, I'm sick of this nonsense. <laughs> it's, so, it's so repulsive. All right, so wait, let me, uh, let me so finish yeah. it by your, your reaction to it. And people freaked out because you said the thing that you're not supposed to say, but that's what you're known for. Here he is in SOT 14 on Charlie's show. And that's why I think this United story and the DEI story yes. hits so hard because we've all been in the back of a plane when the turbulence hits or when you're flying through a storm and you're like, I'm so glad I saw the guy with the right stuff and the square jaw get into the cockpit before we took off. And I feel better now. Thank you. No, I mean, about like, that. you want to go thought crime? Like, I'm sorry. If I see a black pilot, I'm going to be like, boy, I hope he's qualified. Well, well that's the you wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have. You no, wouldn't have done that not, before. That's not an immediate. No, you wouldn't have done that before. That's not who I am. That's no. not what I believe. It is the reality the left has but created. I, I, I'm, I like I, the meltdown after this with people like, <gasps> <laughs> and the response, the proper response was from you, from people like Matt Walsh. This is the world you people have created. You that's have right. created this world yes. where you make somebody's skin color the sole criterion for hiring and then you react in horror when people wonder whether the qualifications are also there How, the the nerve that's to get it, so indignant right. about your reaction to that this is their world you're just living in it yes and i, I want to just reiterate the essence of that clip that was m missed by almost everybody jordan peterson to his credit really picked up on it which is what i was trying to be you know, very vulnerable at the audience is that DEI invites unwholesome thinking. And I said, I don't, and I was saying in the clip, that's not who I am. That's not what I believe. But what it does is it makes us worse versions of, of ourselves, Megan. That's the whole point of what I was saying is that I now look at everything through a hyper racialized diversity quota lens because of their massive insistence to try to hit these ridiculous racial hiring quotas. Of course, I believe anybody of any skin color can become a qualified pilot. That has never been my contention. I mean, it's silly. That's, that's It's bigoted to think otherwise, right? What I was saying, though, is when you currently have it, it, it less like three to four percent of current pilots are blacks right now, three to four percent. And now, now they want to say this is just a hiring class of candidates. Are there enough candidates to fill the 50 percent quota? And the other question should be asked is, why is it a problem? Let's just ask the premise. Why is it a problem that 81% are white? And I just, I love right. the Axios guy. Well, wh white males are dominating the cockpit. Yeah, those pesky safe flights are dominating our society, Megan. <laughs> you know, all those, you know, all those 25 years of com commercial airliners that have kept on, I mean, dominating as, as if like the white male is like oppressing us with, you know, their beautiful landings through turbulence and storms. <laughs> and I just, I, I just, 
as if it's some some sort like we literally he said the axios well white males uh, dominate in the cockpit good in the sense of like it's been safe it's worked i don't care about the race i literally don't care but like the premise is as if there's some sort of massive oppression enterprise going on and so i just i want to make sure this is clear because the the uh, the the deeper point even got cut off in that clip that's fine is that dei creates like bad people and that's no, the, right. we walk around asking questions that we otherwise wouldn't ask. And you're I happen right. to say the quiet part out loud because I don't like thinking that way. I feel dirty. I feel like sinful. I feel that I'm now asking questions I wouldn't otherwise ask, but they've invited this entire conversation. And by the way, I just want to make this clear because then some people say, but Charlie, they're totally qualified. Hold on. Every analysis that we have of similar quota based affirmative action programs always results in the lowering of standards, whether it be Harvard, whether it be in federal hiring practices. Oh, at Harvard, admission standards were lowered 20 to 30% for black students versus Asian and white counterparts. So you can have one or the other. You can have excellence or you can have diversity. And I, for one, someone who has flown millions of miles and over 3,000 days of travel in the last decade, I want excellence in air travel. I don't care about the skin color of the person. Yes, exactly. And uh, by the just, way, that this is happening in medicine places. too, though. This is yeah, happening no, no, in these medicine. Are not appropriate and, places for quotas or a, a hyper focus on diversity. They're just not. Like yes. people have to have confidence that everybody gets into that cockpit or into that OR based on one thing, and that is merit. That's it. Like the, they deserve to be there. I want to end it with this. Um, Eli Steele, who I love, he's Shelby Steele's son. And he's brilliant. He's a great social commentator. For the record, he's a person of color. He's a black man, mixed race, I think, in any event, whatever. He says, um, in response to this, Charlie, he tweeted out, what do you think Thomas Sowell and Shelby Steele have been warning us about for years? We cannot embrace the double-edged sword of racial preferences and its lure of an advantage without being stigmatized as inferior. It's the devil's bargain. It's too easy to point the finger at Charlie Kirk and slam him for racism. That solves nothing, and it makes racism the problem when the left's systemic deployment of racial preferences is the true culprit. This system benefits the corrupted racial essentialists like Claudine Gay at the expense of the aspirational. The sad reality is that the aspirational among us do not need these advantages. We do not need the man to help us. Our people didn't survive slavery for this. And we should honor our ancestors through our untainted achievements. That's it right there. Beautiful. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. And that that is, I haven't heard that. And I will say, Megan, I was, I'm very encouraged that many people, Allie B. Stuckey, Jordan Peterson, Matt Walsh, Tim Poole, Candace Owens, because this thing has been viewed 30 million times without any prompting. They said, wait a second, this is what Charlie's saying. And I, I think that was a really good thing, Megan, because it would have been very easy to just kind of say, oh, wow, he said the private thing. And it kind of that's not how, you know, I, I was really encouraged and thankful for how people stood up for me and stood up for the truth. So thank you. Yes. OK. All right. So let's end it on a fun note. So TJ Holmes and Amy Robach got fired from their jobs on the third hour of Good Morning America a year or so ago. It wasn't because they had an affair. I mean, according to the reports in the Daily Mail and the New York Post, he had been stooping half of the newsroom. So this was not his first rodeo 
uh, outside of his marriage. She was also married at the time to Andrew Shu, formerly of Melrose Place. She later claimed, oh, you know, he had moved out by the time, you know, this affair broke. But we saw the pictures. It had been going back some time, whatever. I don't think they got fired for infidelity to their respective spouses, though there was a day when that would have canned you from morning TV. They got fired because they then paraded themselves in their teeny weeny bikinis all over the beaches of America, fawning over one another. They both have children in their marriages and their kids, hers in particular, were posting sad faced photos of themselves like alone with their dad without their mom, who we saw simultaneously frolicking in her little bikini with the affair partner. That's a that's a no. That's a PR nightmare for a company like GMA, ABC, the mouse. So they got canned, which was totally predictable. They could have saved themselves, done a mea culpa, gotten past it, but they chose to go another way and trying to make us mm-hmm. celebrate their affairs. And it was a hard no. There still are some standards. So now they've launched a podcast. This thing is like a soap opera. You won't be surprised given how their relationship appears to have begun. It doesn't seem like it's going very well. <laughs> it's us. I don't think it's long for the wear, Charlie. So no. on, on Tuesday of this past week, they decided to drop a podcast in the middle of an argument, of a fight they were having. And these, I mean, I'm sorry, I find them so unlikable. She, like the victim, the, the he's an ass. She, she's victimized at everything. She can't believe all the work she has to do now as a podcaster. She's used to somebody doing this for her. It's stressful. And just here's what a, a tough life we have, life. right? <laughs> Listen to SOT 17. I have always been fully confident in our ability to work together. What I haven't done as much of in my career is be responsible for content, booking, ratings. The pressure of all of that, um, I think, has consumed both of us. I like to talk it out and brainstorm and throw things out and up, and you like to quietly do your thing by yourself. And so what we've ended up doing is sitting in silence for hours next to each other. And it's exhausting when it is an extended period of time or multiple days, I start to feel nervous. Nervous about what? How you're feeling about us and me. Is that always on the table? Like everything that comes up, is it always that? Cause that's like nuclear. I don't know how in those moments, to take care of me and take care of somebody else. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) Well, so I just, so so Megan, I I, I take coming on your show very seriously. So I I did a lot, I I had to listen to this pile of crap. Bless you. You know, otherwise, and so I, first of all, I found it very interesting. You know that their ex-spouses are now together? It's like very, very bizarre. Uh, So that that whole thing, I just, in in the research, I was like, well, that's really weird. Secondly, in the podcast, he periodically calls her robot, like like her by her last name. Like, did you notice? Like, it, he periodically calls her by her last name, as if like it's he's like coaching her in a basketball game. Like, it, it, it was very very strange. These people are so what, nauseatingly what self important. She keeps using terms like authenticity, and um, I have to be. Oh what was it? Gosh. Oh, my! I'm living my own truth. I mean, like, no, she's it's been just, totally wrapped up in the psychobabble. 
so I'm far from an expert on this, but here was my initial takeaway. And it, it is part of an argument I've made for years. You could tell a lot about somebody and how talented they are or not when you remove them from the box. When you remove them from being in 100 million homes and all of a sudden you make them have to survive in the wild, you're going to find out a lot if they have talent and or whether they don't. I mean, and Megan, look, you have like the number one podcast on the planet here. And it's, you know, we love it. We love the success. We love the virality. I don't think uh, this is going to do very well. Like, first of all, it's just they, 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 they I, don't, I don't, I don't know. Look, I'm a big market guy. I'm a big competitor. I can't imagine people on their commute to work turning that on while they're sitting in traffic on the 405. I, I Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, uh, podcasting is a ruthless business, as you well know, Megan. It's hyper-competitive, and what I love about it is that if you're a failure, people see you're a failure very, very quickly. It's just yeah. if you don't succeed, you go you go into the hint. I don't I don't know. I I am uh, you got I'm short like, on this the one. The part about her complaining about it's the, the pressure of like having to put together our own podcast. Meanwhile, it I guarantee you, these people are working three hours a day. <laughs> Okay, nurses are on their feet eight to twelve hours a day dealing with sick bodily functions. They like they actually have to work to put food on their tables. These are both millionaires. Just stop. No one feels sorry for you. What was she saying? Like, we don't want people to think we're the perfect couple. We don't. Don't worry. Yeah, we don't. And and, and she, but what she's saying is that for her, she has to be interesting, and that's really hard work for her. She's the. <laughs> A Good Morning America, just say, here, read this script brought to you by Pfizer. You know, America's a racist country. Yes. The orange man is destroying us. Let's go to our frontline <laughs> correspondent. Now she has to be in a podcast and actually be interesting. Very tiring, exhausting work. What are they going to do when they're not talking about themselves? By the way, we've got to end with this. Yes. There was a follow-up to the, to the fight podcast in which he, TJ, said the following. Listen to Sat 20. I don't want to put this out because this is going to, I fear, be viewed as a black man beating up on a white woman. Now, if anybody took their time and listened to that podcast, obviously, I was not yelling, screaming. I wasn't doing anything. Now, we are a couple who's having a disagreement. So obviously, neither one of us were having our best moments. But my immediate concern was that. And you and Sugarman both like, wait, what? I was shocked. You've got, you got to get the race in there. Got to do it. Old habits die hard. Um, and they were still no, but, fighting. But this think is about the resumption this. of the fight. My immediate concern. So more so than the well-being of your partner, your immediate concern is that you're playing into some like weird racial stereotype. Like th th these people need, th they need more than therapy. They need to go to like Switzerland for a month. They need like a whole team of people that just look at them and heal them. Th these, they, they, um, they're, they're far from, they're far from role models. We'll see if that works. I have a feeling, uh, this podcast is not going to be around for too long. No, this is not a healthy relationship and it didn't start well and it's not going to end well. Um, <laughs> we'll continue to watch it and use Charlie Kirk as our TJ and Amy correspondent. <laughs> Oh, great. I, uh, I'm honored, Megan. Thank you for, for giving me that honor. Learn so much. It's great to see you. Thank you so much for being you here. Too. Let's talk again soon. God bless you, Megan. Love the show. Thank oh. you so much. Thank you. You as well. Uh, okay. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you on Monday. Look forward to that. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear.